All right, uh, so today I want to start off with a very intriguing story uh, that is uh, not necessarily something that's current events, but did happen very recently. And the title is um, An Iowa Mom Wife Lawyer Works as a Prostitute as a Nevada Sale, a Side Gig. Okay? Let me translate. <laughs> this woman's a lawyer and she works as a whore. On weekends. Right. Actually, it's more than weekends. You'll get to the details in a minute. Yeah. But she's a whore and a lawyer. It's like it's like a, um, a superhero. By day, she's a lawyer. By right, night, right. she's a whore. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and uh, you know, Clark Kent only had to put his glasses on, you know, that he was Clark Kent. <laughs> but, but this woman, has, she has to do more. You got you to admit that, right? You got to put on sexual lingerie and stuff like that. Anyway, look. So let me just read this really briefly, and then I want to talk about this. So like I said, the title... Oh, oh, one second. Are you thinking of a career adjustment or something? So here <laughs> it is. Just a cry for help. Ari, be quiet. <laughs> An Iowa woman works part-time as a lawyer in Iowa and as a prostitute in Nevada. Catherine Sears is very open about her work there. When she, <laughs> You would think so because she's revealing her name. Uh, when she travels home to Des Moines, where she lives with, where her, uh, with her husband and child... I like sex. Sex is fun. And I can get paid for it. Catherine Sears started working as a prostitute in Nevada three years ago at the age of 27. She says working in a brothel there is something she always wanted to do. It's like, well, keep your sights high, baby. All right. You, you can make a job out of this. It's fantastic. Why would I not do this? Catherine Sears said. Sears admits she is painfully shy but feels empowered being a sex worker. Nevada is the only state where prostitution is legal, specifically in brothels. She says she's so passionate about decriminalizing prostitution that she wanted to speak on camera about her mission. I think the more we talk about it, the better it is uh, for the decriminalization that we're pursuing. We're not going to have legislative change if we're passive about it, Catherine said. Sears and her husband, John, met at Drake Law School a few years ago, where she was already working as a prostitute. The couple is now practicing criminal defense law together in Des Moines. What, when, what asked, oh, sorry, when asked what he thinks about his wife working as a prostitute, John Sears answered, I don't really care that much. The couple sees prostitution as any other job, one where consent is required, and Catherine Sears has a right to say yes or no to clients. Prostitution is consensual sex, she said. Well, that's her view, I, I suppose. Sears typically travels to Nevada where she works in a brothel for three weeks at a time, then comes back to Iowa for a week at home. Wow. <laughs> so that's her main gig. It's not... Well, you, you, I mean, you kind of bury your lead in a way. Wait, wait, I'm not, done, you, I'm not done. We'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, sure. When asked how much money she's made as a prostitute, Catherine Sears didn't have a definite answer, but she does make a significant amount. I'd have to get my taxes out and look at it. The best I did, I made 55000 in three weeks, Catherine said. In the past year, Sears has taken time off to focus on practicing law and, our growing, and on her growing family. Her son is four months old. Catherine Sears said there's a misconception about prostitutes. Prostitutes are people. The prostitutes I've known are some of the best people I've known. Not everyone is on board with her views, and she gets that, but she wants to end what she calls the judgmental stigma, as if that's a new phrase. We degrade women who are open about sexuality. We want you to be this way, and if you're not this way, you're bad. 
And if stray, and if you stray from that, you're also bad. So I think it's a lot of indoctrination, she said. Sears would like to see Iowa and the entire nation decriminalize prostitution. Yeah, because that way she wouldn't have to go to Nevada all the time, you know, save all the, uh, the, the flights. She's even willing to take prostitution cases on a pro bono basis in the meantime. That's interesting. Their bodies belong to them, and we have absolutely no reason that you cannot condition your consent this way, she said. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, now, you said I buried the lead on this. Go ahead and tell me why. Well, it said at the beginning, she said she works part-time as a lawyer and as a prostitute. It doesn't say she works part-time as a lawyer and part-time as a prostitute. Right. So the prostitution is her main gig. Well, that's what I was saying. She, In other she, words, she goes, she's not a lawyer who is a whore. She's a whore who practices law on the side. Yes, that's true. Look, I mean, she... <laughs> She reminds me of all those stories you hear of, of a traveling salesmen, right, who are on the road for, for three weeks, and then they come back home for a week, right? That's the way it is. Or firemen, for that matter, right, where they're, they're on for three weeks, you know, and uh, off, and back at home for a week, R&R and such. This woman is apparently working all the time, but mostly as a prostitute. Um, so there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, and this, this deals a lot with my book, uh, Rise of the Sex Machines, which came out last week. Uh, doing very well, by the way. I'm very happy about that. But it's, it's all about the trivialization of sex. It's as if they're discovering sex for the first time. And what's that famous expression? Every generation thinks it's the first to invent sex, and every generation is wrong. And, and of course, that's the case with our own generation. They, they, you know, the stigmatization of prostitution, there's a reason for that. Um, it it's, goes against the very concept of the infrastructure of society. Sex is so powerful that if you were to say, hey, let everyone just romp around and have as much fun as possible, you would see the end of civilization. Look, as much as I love sex and as much as uh, you do and such like that, it's, it, it's not, it shouldn't be something we focus on day after day after day. You know, if, if all you think about is sex and getting sex. Yeah, and? <laughs> well, okay, bad example for yeah, Ari. and? But, but if all you think about in that context, then what's going to happen to your civilization? Maybe there is a reason. I don't know who said this. Uh, Someone else, oh, hold on, this is an important point. Someone else has effed up my civilization on the streets of Los I know, Angeles. I know. Not my sex I know. drive. Okay, stop, stop, stop. So the point is. <laughs> oh, did I just win the argument? <laughs> I think so. No, hold on. Oh, dropped. <laughs> I think you just broke the mic. All right. I, I never understand that, that mic drop business, right? Aren't they just breaking the mic? Yeah, they are. Like, That's why it's stupid. You, you never see the, the owner of the nightclub saying, dude, you just broke my mic. Right. <laughs> like, all right. Anyway. <laughs> it's so they can end their point and end the conversation because through the PA system, no other conversation becomes possible okay. because they did break can, it. Can I get back to where I was now? Yeah, I guess. Thank you. So... <laughs> The point is that there's an old expression. There's a reason why there are fences in the first place. And before, I don't know who said it, but it was a brilliant comment. Before you take down a fence, you ought to ask why the fence is there in the first place, right? You know, oh, gosh, I wonder why we have these security alarms all over the place. You know, before we turn them off or take down the fence, as it were, let's ask ourselves, why are they there in the first place? Okay. So, for example, baby gates, right? Uh, if your child, if, if you see the baby gates, 
and you realize, hey, you know what? My child is uh, five years old. We don't really need baby gates anymore. Uh, they were up there for the purpose of protecting the child up to the age of one, one and a half, whatever. Yeah, but you know what, honey? Uh, he's five now. We don't need that anymore. Okay, let's take it down. All right? You've asked the question, why was the baby gate there? You've determined that it's no longer relevant, and you take down the baby gate. I get it. Okay, but that's not what we do now. We are, you know, the fence of understanding that that the sexuality is so powerful and that it's necessary for the advancement of civilization, as much as we all love it, right? Uh, and, and we crave it and all the good things, and we, we fantasize about it and so on. The, the point is, it's a drug. If you, if you, or you got to treat it like a drug at the very least. You can overdo it like anything else. And if you do not take it in the appropriate stride, in the appropriate context, uh, hopefully in the context of marriage or at least a, a very monogamous relationship, Bad things will happen. That's the bottom line. And this woman and the prostitution issue, who, that's her main gig. I mean, really, she's discovering she probably makes a hell of a lot more money at $55,000 a month, uh, if that's an average month. Uh, I, I assume that's a lot more than what she's making as a criminal defense lawyer, uh, which no doubt pays a lot less. So $55,000 a month, if, if that's the even thing, that's more than 600000 a year, that's pretty damn good money. And I doubt that all of it is, is uh, money that she's reporting to the IRS. I doubt that, right? I mean, so she's even benefiting even more from that because a lot of it is no doubt in cash. But, but regardless, uh, I mean, this is the way it's going to be. And I have a chapter in my book about this. It's called Porn Versus the Minimum Wage. And I, it's not just the minimum wage. I mean, if a woman is, and a man for that matter, but mostly women, if they are told... That and they are to know that they are going to make four thousand dollars a gig for porn, uh, and, and anywhere, anywhere ranging between eight hundred and four thousand dollars, depending on what they do, right, and how long the porn scene is, and so on. That's a hell of a lot of money, and a lot of these women, especially, do uh, you know three scenes uh, a day, sometimes uh, less, sometimes more, but that's a lot of money. And when they're evaluating whether or not to make money that way, versus Flipping burgers or being a waitress or a maitre d' and working for tips only, uh, you know, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they could make as a prostitute or a, a porn star. And uh, they see that as a great opportunity. And the more we destigmatize this notion of sex and, liber you know, liberation, I think there was even a reference to the empowerment of women uh, through prostitutions. I mean, this is how they, they rationalize it, right? Like, they, they do this stuff. Uh, they don't want to be looked down upon, but not only do they want to not be looked down upon, they want, to, they want to see it as empowering, that this is a wonderful thing, and that they're doing something good for society by, by engaging in porn or prostitution, as this case is. Very, very odd, but you're going to see more and more of this uh, as, as we trivialize the meaning of sex, right? I mean, that, that's, we've seen it so many times. Now, for example, you, you, you see a woman who's pregnant. Uh, and she tells you that she's, um, she's pregnant out of wedlock. Well, that issue is no longer a stigma. Of course, it used to be a stigma 30 years ago, uh, but no, not, not at all anymore for all sorts of reasons. Then you see a woman, she's pregnant. There's not a man in sight. Why? Because she uh, went to a sperm bank, and that's where she got her baby. 
there's no st stigma to that at all. And she proudly declares that I'm, I'm uh, taking charge of my fertility. I want a baby. And that's, uh, and, I, and I don't want to, I don't need a father in the picture or I'll just do everything in reverse off my baby first. And then the father uh, and, and husband comes later. Okay. You know, this is how they rationalize it yet again. And everyone says to them, good on you, girl, you know, uh, you know, uh, power, whatever is a girl power. Right. So that's all about trivialization of sex and also trying to make it some, somehow a, a symbol of power and empowerment. I see this time and time again when it comes to uh, what we're seeing in, in the society today where everything is mixing together, not just feminism, but sex itself. Sex is meaningless. Sex is something you go get because you, you need your orgasm. Go get it, girl. And the same thing is true for men. Uh, they're asking the woman to be um, as after sex as the men are, and then uh, expect society to somehow survive. Okay, I, I dare to tell you, Ari, that, that such a thing would be so crippling to society at the end of the day, and they, they, they do not see this train coming. Well, I, I think you're completely wrong. The, the things threatening society are so beyond this now. The, my attitude towards this is a big so what. Big so effing what. And by the way, it's not trivializing right. sex. You know what's not trivializing sex? Tell me. The 55 grand she earned. The cash dollars per billable hour that exceeds her value as a lawyer. That's where it's not being yeah, trivialized. People are paying for this. That's right. People want it. People need it. Bully for her. You know, I've told you that I think that we could solve the abortion issue yeah. in a second if we allowed the selling of babies to adoptive couples. So that there'd be a profit motive for women to carry their babies to term. So if you're asking the question, what's less desirable? A woman selling her baby or murdering it or participating well, in its I, death? I didn't ask so that question. <laughs> in, this, in this, the analogy is the same way. Right. What's worse? A woman engaging in nice, zesty, heterosexual activity for profit, and by the way, blowing apart that entire idea that women are underpaid compared to men, because no man whore can okay, earn you're, like you're, that You're one. talking about a lot of different issues here. No, I, Let's I'm focus talking on about one issue. I'm talking about your attitude towards this, which is the issue here. Right. And the, the reason this is important is because we need to be encouraging heterosexual behavior right now. We are so... Horse out of the barn on this with transgender crap, the 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 feminine Nazi attitudes to destroying men, right. people engaged in absolute loneliness. Your entire book about people effing robots instead of human beings. That's I'd right. much rather someone pays a human being and at least has sex with a human being than someone having sex with a sheep or oh, blow up all a robot. I agree with you about so that. The, the fact I agree, that we're I agree. here, your set of arguments, I find so manning because it's so counterproductive <laughs> to my idea. Is for which I think is the most important thing, which is selling basic conservatism to the population at large. And by even making those arguments, you just look like a stupid prude who hates sex and, and oh my god, people are, are doing sex in a way I don't like. Oh my god, oh my god. You're actually making an argument that drives people to sex robots rather than arguing away from it. It's driving me crazy. Okay, so you know, Ari, I, I've been meaning what? to talk to you about what? this. I, what? I think you need to be a little bit more passionate when you express yourself. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so I'm I mean, too listen, calm. I just want you to, you know, I'm too calm. bring yourself out of your shell. That's all I'm asking. Okay. okay. I'm going to take my pants <laughs> off now. No, not, not that, not that much out of your it's shell. It's a workplace. What's wrong with that? I'm oh liberated. God. Uh, so that, that's why 
or he doesn't have a workplace. That's why he has <laughs> other people's workplaces. It has to be what my job is. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. I'm unemployed. <laughs> remember, remember the rules of the TRO. The restraining order. You mean against are, Michelle? Are still, are still in, uh, in place. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, look, uh, you have a very libertarian approach to, to all this. And the notion, your notion, and we do disagree strongly on this, the notion that you, uh, that somehow encouraging prostitution and uh, rampant heterosexuality uh, is, is going to be good for society, I think it's very short-sighted. Well, let me clarify that because that's not an accurate characterization. I want to not encourage prostitution. I want to encourage two things, heterosexual activity and free market economics. Okay, stop, stop. I, okay. I understand that. And I, this woman I, I, is at the nexus of both, okay. and I think it's fabulous. No, I think I, you can think it's fabulous. I agree, but it, it's it's not fabulous. It's actually very bad. It's a reflection. Well, what's worse? <laughs> it's a reflection, Ari, of the trivialization of our se- of the sex in our culture, and you may like that trivialization. Well, how, the question is, Ari, is, Ari, Ari. is how do you fix it? What's your starting point? Ari. I need to talk about this. Okay, so let me t- let me tell you, the trivialization of sex is what I'm talking about right now. And whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is actually not the issue. <clears throat> the issue is what will happen if we trivialize it. Good example, and I know we disagree on this, is the legalization of pot. You think it's all good, so you're consistent in your your thinking. I think it's bad. I also think that it so will- you want people to go to jail for pot. That's not the issue. The issue is not, and I don't want to digress to that point. I'm talking about the legal, will it have ramifications? The answer is it has ramifications. And you can ask the same question, do you want women to be jailed for prostitution? You know, if it's going to be illegal, illegal, then that does involve people going to jail, whether you like it or not. That's not the issue I'm talking about. I'm talking about the trivialization of sex, just like trivialization of drug use, which will go beyond marijuana for sure. It's already in, in, in Mexico, for example, one judge already legalized cocaine. Uh, so that's, that you'll see that coming to a theater near you here in the United States as well. If you think that the border is going to stop, as it were, at marijuana, uh, I think you're naive. Not you, Ari, but, uh, you know, the listener is, is naive. Look, different policies, the cultural norms have, 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 have imped, uh, for example— it, you know, whether you're for feminism or you're against feminism, if you can even define feminism, uh, it, it, we all acknowledge that feminism has an impact. It, it had an impact and it continues to have an impact. Uh, if, you're, if, you, if you perceive it to uh, somehow open up a lot of doors for women, well, then what feminism was great. If you perceive it to have created more of a divide between men and women and actually uh, you know, breaking down the family, then you see feminism as a bad thing. I think it's a combination of many things. But nevertheless, these things have impact. And the sexual arena here is going to have impact. And if you have a woman saying, hey, I can have as much sex as I like, and it's, there's no stigma to it, and it's just a job, it's just a gig, uh, then I think it's going to have an impact on society. Uh, people are going to have uh, much less of a serious attitude towards sex, uh, which I think is a holy thing. Um, I, I do think I understand now the fence, as it were, as to why people discouraged premarital sex. Uh, you know, look, d- did I live up to that standard? No, but I understand that the the, the wisdom of premarital sex, 
I'm not allowing premarital sex or abstaining from premarital sex. I understand it. Because what's happening is, and, and I say this in my book, that if you treat sex, uh, it, it, sex seems to be one of the very few things, and we talked about this last week, where it's very valuable on, in, under some circumstances and extremely, uh, you know, nothing. It's, it's just sex in other circumstances. And the question becomes, under what circumstances is any other asset treated like that, right? Does your Bentley car, let's say, I mean, neither of us have a Bentley, but let's say, let's imagine a Bentley car. Is it extremely value on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and then, you know, just kind of like an off-roader, you know, beat up uh, old car on the other days of the week? Of course, it, of course not. It's a Bentley is a Bentley. Likewise, with a, if you have beautiful pearls, if a woman has a beautiful set of pearls, a necklace, is it really valuable and worth $100,000 around her neck on you know, some days of the month? And then the other days of the month, she goes play, plays marbles with it with her kids. Of course not. But somehow, when it comes to, to sex, then it's very valuable sometimes. If, if you're married, then, and if your husband or, or wife cheats on you, well, then that's an incredible breach of trust, and you just you might get divorced over it, and terrible things might flow from that. But, you know, if it's before marriage, and it's just sex, you know, it just you're having a good, good old time, you're exchanging orgasms, and what's wrong with that, right? These are two different value sets. And I, I put it to you that sex is either very valuable or it's not valuable at all. I, I, I think we're dealing with this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cognitive dissonance, um, whiplash, uh, this inconsistency, uh, this dissonance between sex on the one hand being it's just sex, like this woman no doubt believes being a prostitute in Nevada, and then uh, having sex with her husband, presumably, which is very meaningful and uh, loving and such like that. How does she divorce the two? How does she separate those two? That's, that's always the mystery to me. Well, if you happen to watch the video of her, you'd learn something very important here. It's clear she's not having sex with the husband. Okay. So there's that answer. <laughs> I, all right. That's fine. Now, you brought up a good point last time we spoke about this, um, and this is offline, but I, I want to bring it up. You brought up the point that there is one other area where we treat something as very valuable under some circumstances and, and really just nothing on the other. And that's, wait for it, human life, <laughs> as it turns out. Yeah, that's right. When it comes to abortion, no matter where you stand on the issue of abortion, whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, you have to acknowledge this kind of bizarre contradiction, this internal contradiction, where on the one hand, it's just a clump of cells uh, up to a certain time period, and then after that certain time period, and we could talk about whether it's after birth or whatever, I'm not even getting going there for the time being, that after a certain time period, then suddenly it's this precious, wonderful thing that that is so, you know, you, you will, you will um, sacrifice all your wealth and all your needs and all your love for the sake of this one little bambino uh, because he's such a precious bundle of joy, right? How, how do you do that? How do you get, wrap your mind around that? That's, that? That is something that led me to understand the wisdom of the pro-life movement. Um, I, I, it was internally consistent, which I really liked very much. The, the, the choice movement, that's what they call it, um, that I don't think they can ever square that, you know. And, and now they have to deal with this notion that abortion could be up to the time of birth in certain states, 
and maybe even beyond birth, uh, again, in certain states. The Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And then, and then after that, well, then, then it's a precious bundle of joy, and you know, you, you could be, you know, put to death for killing uh, this this child, right? I mean, wh- where does? It, I mean, I don't get that. How can it be, one day, completely, without value, and just the clump of cells, and the very next day? It's the most precious thing in the world. Well, obviously, in those areas, it's because the media told them to think that. Of course. Right? Of course. At Sandy Hook, those are uh, precious, uh, whatever they are. Sure. At Planned Parenthood, they're worthless. Or at Godzilla's Clinic, they're worthless. Right. And not only that, and not only that, but it's also. It's not just the day, uh, you know, up to three months or three, you know, three three months on a day, like in Roe v. Wade, Um, but it's also depending on what the woman feels like. Right. If, if the woman wants that child and she's pregnant uh, for only uh, two weeks, let's say, which is well within the Roe v. Wade um, uh, period of time that's acceptable, quote unquote, if the woman wants it, then then it's a precious bundle of joy. Then it's ever so valuable. Right. And she will do everything for this child. And she's already, you know, painting the baby room and, and imagining what her name or his name might be and. All those things, right? And they're planning for college. They're doing the college fund already. But so if she wants it, then it's then it's a real life. And if she you know, she doesn't even know she's pregnant and has no intention of ever being pregnant and, and it's just something that's unfortunate, well, then it's just a clump of cells. You see how this whiplash is going on in terms of the value. And I'm saying, and, and you brought up a good point, which is it's what the media decides it to be. It's, it's how they train it, people to and, do it, yeah. right? And, and, and I don't know how to see it. Right. It's in the culture. It's in the indoctrination. But... All right, it's no different in the sexual arena, too. Uh, partially, but see, my main argument to you in this realm is, but what do you want to do about it? Do you want to win or do you want to be right? I want to win. Understand? And I understand we can't win by... It, 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 it follows sort of the principle of offenses in this regard. To me, the fence is way over there. You know, a thousand yards that way, and we're arguing about a fence over here, heterosexual transactional sex outside wedlock, when the real fence, the real problem is out there with Chen's gender alterations, child molestation, yeah. and the destruction of sex entirely. I, I get it. And, and I get it. But, but the problem is, I, look, I see where you're going with it. I understand your argument. However, my point is exactly your point, whether you realize it or not, that when we... Uh, amplify sexuality like this and trivialize it to the point that it's just sex and it's just an exchange of orgasm and what's wrong with that and we and we even call it empowerment. Then then it's going to lead to the things that you were otherwise talking that, that you just talked about now, which is this the trivialization of, of child molestation, the, the trivialization of um, I mean the, the the equating of all kinds of sex with each other, uh, and that's that's not a healthy thing. Well, my point is this though, granted. This woman is not behaving in an ideal manner, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. But if we're going to talk about the great issues of the day or where we can start changing this back to a common sense place, the issue should be something. And by the way, I, the reason I take the marijuana issue so seriously is because I have saw my entire generation eviscerated from being uh, supporting of conservatism entirely because of the marijuana issue, which to me is a, a big tyranny issue. Uh, just because you tell people you shouldn't do marijuana or alcohol doesn't mean you need to throw them in jail for it. And when you throw people in jail for it, 
the resulting lack of respect for law and order divorces people from other conservative values, and they start throwing out the entire baby with the bathwater. Yeah, so, so, speaking so, of, that, so, 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 how do you, how do you so square that? How do you hold on? How do you square that with the abortion argument? Because the same thing could be said about completely, that. Completely, because I have no problem with this woman doing what she's doing because she's a consulting adult. What I don't want is. Sex taught, I was part of also the first generation taught sex education school. And to me, nothing trivialized sex more than that. And More than it, what? Being taught sex education, putting condoms on cucumbers and bananas in school, being told, don't do it, but if you do, be safe. Right. Right? Right. Uh, uh, basically, having teenagers with their hormones uh, amped up by this curriculum and then told, oh, don't do it. Right. And then, of course, we're told, but if you do do it, don't worry, no consequences. Planned Parenthood is right there. And nowhere in the sex ed curriculum did they start with, okay, this is a biological set of processes that leads to a baby which is precious. Okay, now let's make all of your decisions based on that. So in, in many ways, we're talking about getting to Rome via the same city via slightly different roads. Right, that's, that's where I, I'm agreeing with you I'm about just, that. But. I just get angry at the roads you t chose to go down in the beginning because I saw those as the roads that are most easily undermineable for conservative arguments. Conservatism is very hard to argue against unless it lays open its head upon the the guillotine scaffold I, I, and tell liberalism, pull the chain, okay, so which, I, which it I, did. I, I, I so disagree with you, and this might be the libertarian streak in you versus the non-libertarian streak in me. I, I, I feel that conservatism is not just about no government or very limited government. It's also about a certain set of standards and certain. You're, you're conserving values, not just limited government. And part of those values that we conserve are those values that I think have moved society forward. Uh, what, to my mind, your proposals are such that it would uh, destroy civilization in order to sa to save it. That's the way. Okay, I, well, I, I, let, let, let me finish. Okay. Let me finish. Okay. Uh, you know, both in the prostitution arena and in the drug arena, and you know, to to say, hey, look, you know, we lost a lot of people uh, to liberalism because of the, our our stance on drugs. You know, the, the same thing is true about Israel. There are a lot of people uh, who are one issue voters when it comes to Israel. And uh, we can argue, well, let's go against Israel. And that way we get a lot, a lot more people in the Republican ticket. Well, we wouldn't do that. Well, Likewise, on the issue of abortion. Well, if, if only, if only we I, were somehow... Hold on, hold on. There's a one issue. There are a lot of one issue voters, especially women, uh, when it comes to abortion. So you could easily argue, argue that, hey, we'd get so many millions more women uh, if we only uh, took a softer approach on no, abortion. No, no, that's not it at all. That's not at all. Well, it's the fact that the way marijuana laws were applied, the same way the liquor prohibition laws were applied, that were anti-conservatism, anti-constitutional conservatism, anti-liberty. Okay? I'm very consistent. And the principle is this. Human behavior is what matters. Does it really matter whether a person is in... And let's isolate the contagion of the argument within the drug area for a moment because it'll be less confusing. Does it really matter 
when someone is in, engaging in inebriating behaviors, whether the intoxicant is alcohol or a, per, or a type of drug, if their behaviors are done responsibly or not. Absolutely not. It doesn't. Right. Okay. okay. So who cares from a law enforcement, from a societal standpoint, if someone is being responsible vis-a-vis not operating heavy equipment, uh, automobiles, engaging in vomiting or defecation on the streets, etc. Let's just say they're in their own home doing what they want. Affecting no one but themselves. All right. So who cares? We're, what we're, we're not going to agree. No. no, it's important to to isolate that because yeah. that's what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm talking about I the get responsible back. human behavior. I want to get back to that. I want to get back to the sex issue, not because you've kind of talked. To, you took us to the drug thing. Uh, you know, I brought it up, but I don't, I don't want to delve too much into that. The point is, we are very different on this one issue. Uh, we're very aligned on so many other issues. I think that marijuana and, for that matter, other drugs, harder drugs, really alter the mind and I, in a way that is far more damaging than alcohol. Alcohol has, has its own abuses, no doubt about it. But to say, you know, you can take Coke or marijuana and do it responsibly, I, I just, I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, it's just a dangerous, slippery slope, and I think we need to conserve values, and that's not one of those. So. Uh, now, going back to sex, this whole story, and it's just it's not just one. There's so many other stories like this, by the way, of this woman not necessarily becoming a prostitute or even a porn star. But the, the attitude is such that, like, the what's the big deal attitude when it comes to sex. And people, going back to fences, seem not to ask themselves the basic question. Why is it that those crazy people from previous generations saw sex as something that they should hold off on for the time being, or at the very least, keep it within a monogamous relationship. Why did those crazy people think this way? Because after all, sex is just so much fun, and we've got condoms, and we've got penicillin, and all those great things. Why don't, you know, they just don't even ask that question. Could it be that there's a larger social role as to the minimizing of sex, or at least understanding the confines of sex within a monogamous and hopefully a married relationship. And I, I you know, Ari, I, I just don't think people think of that. And no, they should. You, and they really, really, oh, hold on. I, I want to hear from you, but they really, really should. I, I've come to the conclusion, and it's in my book, Rise of the Sex Machines. Available on? Uh, on Amazon. There you go. <laughs> Both in paperback now and, and, and Kindle, hardcover. so it's oh, good. Kindle and paperback, hardcover yeah. to come soon. I, you know what? People are not doing the hardcover anymore. I, I don't know that hardcover makes sense, uh, from a, especially in this book. This is not kind of like Dennis Prager's book. Oh, okay, book. so right. it's just a disposable book. <laughs> no. it's just It just turns to pulp in your hand after. There you go. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, uh, the, the point is, I, I yeah. See, so you may you. It's very important for you to have people not trivialize sex, but oh, I, 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 no, no, no. no. I, let me let me finish my thought. Um, what's happening is that people are are not understanding that there might be value in sex. They, they there is that's fifty five thousand dollars a month. In value. Apparently, that kind of value. <laughs> apparently, but but look, I'm an economics major, and it's really interesting because. Um, so I did this. Uh, it was, it's one of my favorite chapters: <clears throat> porn versus the minimum wage. And we take the example of one fairly famous uh, young lady who now must be in her late 20s herself. But when she was 18, she decided, hey, look, you know, she didn't want to cause her parents to go bankrupt paying for her tuition at Duke University, uh, $60,000 a year, right? 
So she discovered, hey, look, I, I like she that she likes sex. She's pretty. She's got a great body. Uh, and porn, well, that just pays a hell of a lot more than the $400 a month she's getting after taxes working as a waitress in this one restaurant near Duke. So off she went to Los Angeles and made bank, right? And she, that parents didn't have to pay anything, and she's very proud of herself. And she went all around, you know, Duke's you know, proclaiming that, you know, look, she, and she's proud of it, girl power and everything else. And what, here, here's the irony of it. The more women think that sex is just sex, uh, and the, the more they go into porn, right? And what happens when you have more supply than you ever need, right? I mean, we, we often joke around, not joke around, but it, it's, a, it's a truth that there's so many great books out there, right? But you and I could skip work forever, and we would never be able to read all the great books out there. Just couldn't. Just even if one one thousandth, even if one one thousandth, I'm too busy watching porn and smoking weed to read all those books. We'll get to that. But but even if you if you were able to read 24 hours a day, no sleep, just reading great books that were interesting and fun, all the classics, let's say, you would never be able to do it, right? There's there's far too much of it out there. Likewise with porn. By the way, that's a really terrible way to market your book. That you're just <laughs> pitching. Not, work. Well, all, all, all the more <laughs> all the more reason to be competitive and stand out, right? But, <laughs> but here's the thing: look, my writing is not fungible. It, it, you can't just easily, you know. I've got a certain style of writing, and I have a certain way of thinking. So you can say I like the way Brock Lurie thinks, and and therefore I'm going to buy his book, right? right? So, but that's not. That's not really so when it comes to the world of prostitution or the world of porn. Yes, there are some girls that are prettier. Yeah. Uh, there are some girls with hotter body yeah. parts and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But there are there are far too many of beautiful women. So just no. Okay, come on, <laughs> let me finish up. The point is that you have enough women out there that are going out there into the because they're discovering the same thing that this this woman is discovering herself. I can make a lot of bank. No doubt she's going to go to her friends and say. And because she wants to feel proud of what she's doing. So she says, and, and she's, it's not as if she's hiding it. By God, she gave an interview. It's not as if somebody confronted her and said, aha, you're just a prostitute, aren't you? No, she's very, very prou- proud of what she's doing. So no doubt she's telling her, her other girlfriends, you know, Sally, hey, just you could make a lot of money just doing this. And what's wrong with it? And so she's probably turning on a lot of girls to this. What happens in that situation? The price of each gig goes down. Right, that's supply and demand. It's it's so basic. I don't need to explain it. Uh, so, and the same thing is true when it, when you're talking about porn. If you know, if you got a hot body, uh, and you don't even need to have that pretty a face, just a decent looking face, just about a really hot body, and there's plenty of that out there, especially when you're young. Um, so, one woman will say, "Look, I, you know, the going rate is four thousand dollars for this particular gig," but the other girl wants. To make it, I'll do it for thirty-seven fifty. Okay, good. I'll do it for thirty-five hundred. That's the way it works: supply and demand. So, what's going to happen over time as more and it's, it's more and more sex becomes trivialized, to use our word, to becoming non-stigmatized? Well, then the price of the porn world goes down too, because the porn world, in many ways. The reason why they pay so much is because it's been stigmatized. It's because it's verboten, because it's a little secretive. 
But when it no longer has that veneer of secrecy and everyone's doing it, then you're not going to get that much money so for doing it. you're saying, hmm, I hate to tell you this, Counselor, I think you just contradicted your whole argument. Because what you're saying is that as the price drops, women will find it isn't worth their time to earn that much money, that little money, and so they'll stop doing it. Well, capitalism is a miracle. So you just need to leave people alone. It'll solve itself. Yeah. And I have to say, the same is true of marijuana. I used to okay, pay. No, 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 I, I, no. I, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that. Why? Because you lose the argument. No, because yeah. I want to I, I address your first argument. So let me address your first argument. That's my whole point, Ari. That's right. the irony. That's what I. That's the word I used before. Is that is that ironically they're going to create a market where if everyone sees sex as so trivial. Then at the end of the day, they're not even going to have the price commanding that they're doing. So in other words, they they have to rely on the verboten nature of sex. They are actually profiting on the verboten nature right. they, at the same time saying it's no big deal. Yeah, That's the irony. Right. Just like drug dealers did when pot was legal, they could charge X. Okay. Now that it's legal, you go into the stores, it's cheap. I, again with the pot. Okay, that's well, not. It, it's economics. It's not pot. It's not sex. Let's go back to let's go back to sex. I'm talking about sex. Right. Focus. Okay. I, I am focused. No, I don't think you are, because you're not paying attention to my main point, which is that we are trivializing sex and making sex valueless, and they themselves, in the in the seeking of making money off of it, they don't realize that they're they're actually taking advantage. And exploiting the fact that it is a forbidden thing still, that porn and prostitution is something that is, uh, you know, rare and and not legal, right? So they're taking. A, so this woman who is going to Nevada, you know, she's flying three weeks, uh, doing it three weeks at a time, but she's a fly there and all that stuff. So it's illegal in this one state and it's legal in other pockets, but basically Nevada is it. What happens when it's legal, let's say, in every state? in every country throughout the world, okay, the price of each gig, as it were, is going to go down a lot because, you know, everyone can make a lot more money. And so long as they can make more than the minimum wage or whatever they, they perceive to be the next best gig for them, they'll do porn. They'll do porn. And everyone's going to be doing it. Uh, not everyone, but a lot, a lot of people will be doing it. And it'll be a much more sex-oriented culture. It, you know, just like... I mean, look at, look at Uber, for example. So now, you know, everyone's an Uber driver. Okay, why? Because they see this as a side hustle. Uh, and it's fine. I, have nothing, I, I love Uber. I use Uber all the time. Uh, but, you know, everyone is doing, getting in on the action, and they're making some decent money. Um, and there's a whole rating system and everything else. It's going to be the same when it comes to sex. Because it, once it gets, let's say it were to be legal in California or everywhere, and, you know, you feel a little uh, randy, and uh, you want some fun. And so you'll get your Uber, you know, Uber girl type thing, you know, sex girl, uh, and she'll be on her way to you in three minutes. That sounds fantastic. I, and? I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just predicting the future. That's all well, I'm saying. Well, see, I like this future. Yeah. This is a good future. It's, it, it, it is the future, uh, along with sex robots. Uh, but the question is, is it a future well, that well, – is it a future – that is healthy for yeah. civilization. Well, let me ask you a really difficult question then, okay? And, and I don't mean this facetiously. What's the difference between Miss Iowa Nevada commuter girl right, and some woman who 
maybe on various areas of the various measurements on the spectrum of attractive. Okay. Marrying a guy who looks like a frog just for his money. And we see that a lot here in West LA. Right. What's the difference? Oh, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I mean, you're, you're making my point for me. I, I'm not saying that women are somehow better in, in, in this department. or that, Right, just because they have a piece of paper sanctifying it and they did it in front of right. a priest. No, no. I, or I mean, any mom. <laughs> Dennis Prager brings this up very well and he says it. I think he so succinctly and so beautifully. Uh, you know, women accuse men of looking at, at women as sex objects. And, um, but men correctly can say that women sometimes see men as financial as objects. financial objects, right. Or security so, objects, uh, whatever you want to say. Right. The point is, you know, it's all, it's all cynical and it's all, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, exploitative in that sure. sense. And uh, women are exploiting men just like, uh, you know, yeah, men supposedly so, are exploiting women. You're asking what's the difference. There is no difference. Right. So the, the question I like to, of course, return back to is, well, what are what is our goals here? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to win? And I think what I'm seeing around, if I'm putting the clues from the margins around, if I was going to come to a conclusion of what your argument, I'd assume it's, well, we would hopefully live in a world where people have sex and marry each other, hopefully for love, and to start families that are loving right. for that whole uh, first commandment, let's treat each other well thing, and try to get away from this for-profit, for-orgasm exchange. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. See, that is the difference. It's the civilizational aspect of this. And I, and I started this off by saying, look, when you trivialize sex, you, you ultimately lead to the, to the demise of civilization. Because sex was viewed as a very beautiful, very infinitely valuable thing because it led to the creation of an infinitely valuable human being at the end of the day. And so the, the mantra was get married, have uh, sex, have a lot of children. And the focus is not so much on having sex, although it's encouraged, of course, for the ultimate purpose of having a lot of children, but also bonding between husband and wife, which is very intimate. And you ask these People who are very, uh, very observant of the general proposition don't have sex before marriage, and then they get married, and then they have sex, they are more bonded to each other than others who haven't experienced that. And uh, many people feel it's a, a tremendously religious and, and spiritual experience. Uh, and, I, and I understand that because, you know, you're married to somebody, and now you have this great intimacy, and you've never had that intimacy before. That's a wonderful experience. That's what leads to civilization. That's what, when you realize you, you, you have this exchange with this person that only you and she have, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. And then you have a lot of children. And then, but it's, it's a whole attitude thing, right? This, I mean, in a sense, this podcast is all about attitude. My book, Rise of the Sex Machines, is all about attitude uh, and how we now perceive things. Because, and, and you know, I read you chapters from my book that... When you have a, a perception of, of children, for example, as a liability, as opposed to an incredible, joyous uh, obligation blessing, and a blessing, yeah. uh, then, you know, that's going to have an impact, right? And, and most people, most young couples, non-religious couples at least, will, will treat – they want to have kids, yes, but maybe just one, two at the most – uh, because after all, it's it's such a, such a financial burden, and uh, you know who wants to deal with all the diapers and the sleepless nights and the monsters on the bed and and uh, you know you know the the temper tantrums and the teenage years and and the college tuition. That's how they talk, and like 
a, a devout religious person who does love children will scratch his head and said, what, why are you even saying these things? Well, they'll respond with the, I think, the best word in the English language. So? Yeah, so, exactly right. right. Because, our, I mean, yeah. you know, let's just... Um, no, no, but, but this, is the, this is about how it's the attitude to talk about that. So when ultimately, if you, if you devalue sex to the point where it's just a monetary transaction and you're just exchanging orgasms and all that stuff, well, then, then why not everyone do it? And, and, you know, I mean, look, this is a male fantasy to some extent. And, you know, you go up to a woman and you say, hey, you know, uh, are you feeling uh, a little horny? And then hopefully she'll say yes, and then say, "Hey, let's uh, you and I just have a little fun." No, no. Okay, no. so, so do you want to see my wallet? No. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> no, no, but but no, but yes. Uh, and in the feminist mantra, women have women have the same sexual lust as a man does. And you and I know that's that's absolute bunk. But nevertheless, that's well, maybe what for you. But I mean, for me, yeah. for, for <laughs> no, I'm talking for women. That women have the same sexual lust that we do. And if that's the case, well, then we should all be just, you know, humping all day long. Pardon my French. You know, each one of us should say, hey, you want to, you know, you have a moment now? Let's, let's have it. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm good in the sex department. Hopefully you're good in the sex department. We each trade, uh, you know, orgasms and we're off on our merry way. That's what's happening, by the way, in Tinder uh, for a lot of people. But so, but why not just, you know, on the street? If, if that would, were to apply to everyone... You know, people would just kind of look at each other and they kind of nod to each other and then say, okay, let's find a place and we're done. Um, and what's wrong with that? Everyone will say, what's wrong with that? Um, you know, it's, sex could be anywhere between, you know, two minutes and 20 minutes. That's not much time in the day. Um, you know, you could take uh, one woman back to your office and go on the couch if there is one and vice versa. So that, that would be a trivializing of sex, wouldn't it? And at some point, Nobody would want need prostitution for one thing. You wouldn't have to pay for it because it would be so easily accessible, and you certainly wouldn't need porn because, by golly, uh, you know, porn's all around you. So there's the irony as well. But but why have children? Children, you know, in their eyes, are a burden. So it's all about attitude at the end of the day. And my whole point in my book is that, uh, you know, without God, we are bound you know, headlong into this attitude of the trivializing of sex. Because I agree, if there is no, no God in the world, if there's no God in the, in the planet, uh, or sorry, in the universe, he didn't create us. We're all random creations through evolution or otherwise. We're all and mistakes. Yeah, we're all, yeah. We're all, then, then, then why not just have sex all day long? Why not have this attitude about sex and children for that matter? Why have children whatsoever? Right. Why work? Why not just? And that's yeah. one of the reasons I bring up drugs too, because why not stumble around inebriated, right. defecate everywhere, and have orgasms? Right. Orgasms in inebriation. Right. But but, but enough about orgasm? San Francisco. <laughs> that, finally, you say something worthwhile. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, that's the name of your new book. <laughs> but enough about San Francisco. That's very cute. Yeah. But but see, that's uh, that. This is, I think, the balance we try to find, and this goes back to. The Bible and America's founding is, I'm not libertarian. What I have is a realistic understanding that in societies that are governed with liberty, there's going to be some assholes out there. We're going to do some stupid defecation, right? <laughs> okay, there just will be. And how do we mitigate that so it's as rare as possible? And how do we <laughs> curb any damage their stupid defecation does? 
yeah. so that people are most incentivized to behave as responsibly as possible the greatest amount of the time. Because, you know, none of us are perfect. The best people are going to act like jerks sometimes. The worst people are going to act nice once in a while. Yeah, you so, know, so, so, you know, and I, I so agree, and, I agree and with and that. The final point of that, and that goes back, back to some of my first point of that, is if you, and this goes to your book, is the stuff, the, def, the pile of defecation you bring up, not that your book is a pile of defecation, but the subject matter that, the I'll just say it, the pile of shit you bring up in your book that you address this nightmare world of where this is going is so bad, I think that a single. Man bites dogs, or uh, yeah, man bites dog story of a single woman working as a whore three weeks a, a month is a minor oh, lip on the I, radar I, I, compared I agree. to yeah. the sexual mutilations to children, the sex education, the abortion industry, the selling of baby parts, the trivialization of children, the perversion of of, of filling children's minds okay. with you okay. know global warming. You all right, all right, 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 right. So, so you, you call it a man bites impossible man bites dog story. This woman from Iowa. Going yeah, to Nevada. it's unusual by definition. But, but, but I, I put it to you that it's actually happening a lot more. A lot more. I, I, I bet she represents thousands, maybe tens of thousands of other women that uh, do exactly the same thing because they've done the calculation that it, it's worth a lot of money. And once you tell yourself it's, it's just sex and you actually believe it, then why not? And I, and I mean it. Why not? This is my whole point in the book. That rises sex machines. It's it's all about, in a sense, it's about us. It's about how, in a world without God, why wouldn't we run headlong into this situation? We're, we're already talking about how there there there's a breakdown of distinctions everywhere, right? The breakdown is distinction between police and citizen, between parent and child, between men and women, between uh, teacher and child, and and so many other things, good and evil. Uh, these are distinctions that are constantly being destroyed. Likewise, the sex distinction. And we've talked about this on many podcasts before, where now there's no distinction between vaginal sex, oral sex, and anal sex, and whatever kind of sex you can imagine. And God forbid, uh, but it's going to happen, they're going to talk more and more about uh, pedophilia as an orientation. They're already starting that. So... This is, this is what happens when you trivialize sex. Because if you do trivialize sex that much, then how do you complain? How do you assert that somehow pedophilia is wrong? I mean, obviously, non-consensual sex, you know, everyone seems to get that still. But we should agree that even when a, when a, when a teenager, let's say who is 15, appears to consent to something, that's not consent. We, we understand that that is pedophilia, and we see the man, it's usually a man, who does such a thing as the monster that he is. But, but what happens when we, when we constantly say, you know, it's just sex, it's just sex, it's just an orgasm, big effing deal, it's like having an ice cream cone. What's the big deal? You know, I'm, I'm pleasuring myself by having my favorite ice cream. What's wrong with that? You know, so, right, what's the difference? You know, that, that's where we're going. And so... This is, you know, you know I'm, I'm a fan of irony, right? I'm always seeing irony. The Democratic Party, I call it the party of irony. And in my book, I say, you know, I, I point out something that's very ironic, um, how feminism has led to, you know, actually the loneliness of women and to the, the, to the disempowerment of women uh, and their inability to achieve what they really want. I call that irony. 
And I say that's, that's a word you'll see often in this book. Uh, but we are living in the time of irony because everything that they think they're doing is going to lead to greater and greater unhappiness, greater and greater instability, and ultimately uh, a, a destruction of civilization as we would prefer to have it. Unless, of course, we do something about it. And doing something about it, I think, involves changing the attitude and understanding why the fences were there in the first place. Understanding the value of sex, that, that sex is incredibly powerful. It is never just sex. Never. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week. 